Signs of the Southland, Sunday, June 26th, 2022. Well, gentlemen, the College World Series is over, which means that the academic year, the athletic year is also over. Ole Miss wins to zip, uh, wins the College World Series final series. That's a lot of words to zip over Oklahoma. Uh, Mr. Green, I remember you saying some uh, particularly choice words about <clears throat> Ole Miss's inclusion in the field as part of the last four in. Huh. I believe my exact words was that it was a crock of a very nice word when I first saw it. But, uh, you know, they were, a, they were a dubious three seed that got hot. And I don't think that disproves my point, even though they won it all. But... Still a horrible look for my take. I will own that. I'll say that American playoffs are built to not reveal the, I say American playoffs as if the European ones are better, but like American style playoffs are built not to reveal like the best team, but the best team in the best team overall, but the best team in the moment. Right. And it just so happened to be that Ole Miss was the best team for the moment, despite being possibly the literal last team in the field. Well, and, and that's the thing too. Like if it was a, it, again, we talked about this when we were previewing the Tennessee regional, it's why you play the games. If it was just who has the best collection of talent or who got the most regular season wins, which in the NCAA, not always the same thing. Look at Davidson. And I think they only had 10 losses all year. Didn't even make the field because they lost the uh, a 10, but no matter, you know, if we were just going to King Tennessee after a regular season, that's what would have happened. But instead, I think uh, college world series probably could have been a little bit more competitive. I I think part of the reason that it was a little bit lopsided was because the first couple of weeks were so very, very exciting. Um, So maybe, maybe that's a hot take there, but uh, you know, it it was a fun, what, four weeks of, a postseason baseball, a fun three, four weeks of postseason softball. I feel like just with how much content that there's been the last couple months, I know uh, as a, as a hockey guy, Stanley cup, and then right into the Calder cup and uh, you know, well, the, the game six of Stanley cup is, is starting right now as we record yeah. this. That's my point is like that, the NBA finals and, and, and the playoffs uh, you know, we've, we've really been, just overwhelmed with sports content the last uh, last basically since I guess March Madness conference tournament season through now it's just been a, a lot going on and it's it's weird to be looking at July and going like huh what what are we gonna what are we gonna watch because you know at least you know we had three months without sports and COVID but with with hockey <laughs> it was like a month and a half and then if you were a sicko like me you watched the NWSL. <laughs> Or, or you watched the match and, and just uh, just watched. Uh, no, no, no. The first thing was the uh, was the simulated NASCAR races. That was the first first thing that we got. Right, but that's okay. okay. I that's don't the, count that as. It wasn't no. real, but it was something. That's the sickest crap that there was because that wasn't even like. Yeah. It. I was just. I did watch it though. I no, will yeah, say that it was an interesting it. experience. Like I like legitimately because at that point. Obviously, iRacing is virtual, but the way given the setups that some of these drivers had and how complex that racing sim setups can get, mm-hmm. it's pretty close to the real thing. I would, I would yeah. venture no, yeah, that was the to whole, say. That was the whole thing about it. Yeah, so yeah that, there were a bunch of F1 drivers in that circuit, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, Jack, before we move on, your thoughts on the College World Series and I guess the college stickball postseason as a whole. Stickball postseasons? Well, you know, I'm I'm a guy that kind of likes to see the new guy get a championship, so I'm glad Ole Miss got there first. Also, critically, Ole Miss, by Ole Miss winning, Oklahoma did not win both softball and baseball. Uh, We were two wins away from having a sports sweep in that regard, which the only one I can remember is when UConn won both men's and women's basketball some years ago oh and they've uh, done that twice i'm pretty sure oh wow okay that wasn't i was not aware about that so they did it in 04 and 11 sometime in the team yeah 11 somewhere somewhere in the 11 to 15 range i know they did it um mm-hmm. 
So it was the Kemba Walker year, and then the year that the men's team beat Tech in the final. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh four. Yeah, so both of those years were were UConn doubles. Oh, three UConn, UConn years. Okay, yeah. No, I will. We 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 tuned into the uh, my dad my dad and I to watch the last uh, last half inning, and that guy was, that guy was throwing gas. I forgot his name already. Oh but yeah, Gaddis. I think it was Gaddis. Ninety seven, and then. He pulled the string perfectly on that last on that last pitch. Like that was the I like he he made a little bit of. My dad asked me, he's like, "What do you throw here on one one?" I'm like, "Or on one two. I'm like, honestly, just no one's caught the fastball. Just get it there." And then he fouled it up pretty well. I'm like, "Okay, now you pull the string. Now you just do it." And my goodness, that was a beautiful pitch. So I had a friend in in the stadium at that game. So hope he's happy. He was an Ole Miss fan. Is an Ole Miss fan. So I know he's happy. I gotta say, uh, the the Twitter social media discourse around college baseball has really been strong this year, and uh, I think softball too. So really excited, and volleyball last uh, last mm-hmm. fall, women's basketball in the winter. I think it was just a great year. Maybe this is me being a little more checked out on football and men's basketball than I'm used to, but uh, but in terms of just like the the average awareness across the board of, I'd say I'd say we got the big two right, football and then basketball, and then that like big four like next tier women's basketball, volleyball, softball, and then men's baseball. It, it was just a, a really solid year, I think, to be a part of that ecosystem. And, and I'm excited for, you know, we'll see what happens as we, as we navigate all these transitions for, for teams, you know, people come and people going, but um, should make for, for a good year next year, for sure. Yeah. And I think part of that comes back to ESPN who owns some of these, I mean, owns all of the rights to, what all of the NCAA championships other than the men's basketball championship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause they own the FBS rights too. Um, and, yeah. and the CFP, it comes back to them realizing that, Hey, we have monetizable product in uh, non-revenue sports, especially in the women's sports category. Maybe mm-hmm. we should promote that. Huh? Um, and I think to their credit, I think they've done a much better job producing and broadcasting and scheduling those games this year um, in, in conjunction, especially with the Women's College World Series, in conjunction with the NCAA adjusting that schedule to have better competitive structure with, with regards to the days of rest and, and that. So um, it, it's been a really good tail end of the spring as we, as we, close, out the, uh, as we close out the athletic year, I think. Yeah, agreed. Uh, speaking... Of uh, of unheralded sports getting attention, uh, Mr. Purdy, you went to a WNBA game featuring a Georgia Tech player this weekend. Please tell us all about it. It was a delightful time. Uh, me and my friend, we drove down to the Gateway Center. And we got to see Lorella Kubai come back to Atlanta for the first time. If you're following the social, she uh. She was uh, she was on campus Friday or Thursday, I believe, when the Liberty got got in. Um, but then the game was Friday night. Uh, Kubai does not play much for the Liberty right now. Uh, she with how they kind of structure their offense, she's basically their third string center on an eleven man roster. There was only eleven people dressed at, during the game, so she was basically the only third stringer from what I could deduce with how they were doing their rotations. Um, and they've got some great centers, including a six ten girl who was just massive. Um, so it's there. She as a six, she's six seven. I forgot what she's six seven or six nine. But like they don't, they don't really need her right now. If she played for the Dream, she might start. <laughs> um, based on and the know, Dream aren't terrible. They're not if terrible. They're they, like mid table. I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot about watching, seeing it in person. Finally, I got to learn a lot about how just a how basically the Liberty or the Warriors of the East in the WNBA where they just have UNESCO just chucking threes all the time. And they got a couple other shooters and then one big man in the middle and it can, it just kills teams. Um, and then Atlanta, they're trying to figure out how to use Ryan Howard properly. Still our number one pick from Baylor this year, who's a great shooter, but she's not a point guard really. Like she's not the facilitator. And so we just need, we need someone really good to help in there. And then we just need interior size as well. Um, that's that. But anyways, more on the Kukubai part though, when we showed up, uh, so we go in our section, and then I know I look immediately to the left, and I notice the entire GT women's basketball team is already there. Uh, they got these; they they made shirts for the game. They were black. Uh, they had the GT logo, and they had like that crown they used for like the all the 404 branding, and they put that in Liberty blue, and then had Kubai's name and number on the back. 
so that was really cool to see everyone, at least who was in Atlanta. Um, I know some of our European players aren't here yet, uh, but it's cool, to see, it's cool to see the coaching staff. Uh, Ashley was there. Nell was there. Uh, and then some band folks were in our section, a couple other folks that were wearing tech gear. I don't know. We didn't, I don't think we coordinated. As far as I know, I just found the cheapest seats uh, that were closest and bought those. It turns out that was the tech section I was in. So it, it worked out pretty nicely. I will uh, say I saw um, – I'm not too deep into GT Twitter, which is apparently like a whole big thing. But uh, Yeah, that's uh, something uh, you can get I lost in for better or for worse. Our, uh, a couple of our esteemed – I guess I can call you technique sports still. Uh, technique emeritus, but, uh, you know, editor types uh, of, of that. Yep. So to see – Great to see all that support. I know for, you know, it, it, they have another home game. Hopefully it inspires everyone else to, to come out and, and with, uh, you know, the, the team probably being even more so around in August as we get close to school. I know I will uh, almost certainly be at the, the August 12th game. So if you missed it, uh, be check that out. And uh, some combination or permutation of all of us will be there as well. So yeah, it's a great place. If you haven't been to the uh, the Gateway Center at College Park, it's only a thirty five hundred seater. Uh, but for the purposes of hosting dream games, it's great because it feel even if it's there was twenty six hundred, almost twenty seven at the hundred at this game, but it felt bigger just because you, it filled in the the seats really nicely. And um, also, you kind of you're not forced to focus on the basketball, but it's it's far more natural than at a Hawks game because there's so much stuff to do at State Farm if you want. And you walk around, you do a bunch of stuff. But when you're at Gateway, it's like, nope, you're here for the basketball game. And we all had a great time and a lot of, and the people that are there, they want to be there too. It's not, I mean, there were, there were a couple uh, like camp groups there and whatnot. I think there was one team, one one girls basketball team, um, who very hilariously uh, at the end of the game, they ran down the court not to see any of the dream players, but because Dwight Howard was there. And so there was a lot of people snapping selfies with him at the end of the game. Uh, but also, hey, Dwight came. That was cool. I will say um, Gateway Center, low key, very transit accessible. And you wouldn't even very. know to hold up Google Maps because if you take the MARTA to airport station, yeah, you can get off at College Park and take one of the buses that goes every 15 minutes. But if you just stay on it all the way to airport station and hop the SkyTrain and go one over there, that runs every like two minutes. So it's essentially a, a seamless connection over there. And, you know, that's free. So, you, you know, you pay yep. your 50 each way. So uh, even even more accessible, I think, than, I mean, I, I guess, you know, the, the tech stuff and and, and the bends and, and state. Yeah, and state, they all have their own stuff. And if you want to drive, and if you want to drive, it's got its own lot and it's only 10 bucks. Oh, so okay. it's super affordable to still drive and you get in and out fast enough because there's only so many people there. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I hate that you also looked up uh, if it was transit accessible because that's the first thing I did. Uh, and that really proves that we share a brain cell. Also, real-time follow-up, Ryan Howard, pretty sure she's from Kentucky. Uh, so not Baylor. So there is that. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, hold on. Ryan Howard. Did you want to correct the women's basketball guy? Uh, definitely played for Kentucky. What I'm now more convinced of this than ever that she plays for she played for Kentucky. Totally wrong. Was it a grad transfer year? If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Man, okay, maybe she did go to Kentucky. Why did I think she? Okay, there must be someone else I thought went to Baylor. Uh, well, Nikki Collin, who used to coach the Dream, went to Baylor. Uh, she's Tim Mulkey's replacement. So you might cross. You might have crossed a couple streams there. I don't know. Okay, well, okay, little brain fart there. She went to Kentucky. Cool. She definitely went to Kentucky. First <laughs> Wallace went to Baylor from the Dream roster. There you okay. go. Okay. There you, you go. In, in any case, some some streams crossed. Yeah. But we've we've ironed it out. Uh, we can move on. I, I I think it's it's a really good ballpark. Like I think what you said about it compared to uh, State Farm is really really key because man. State Farm or Phillips or whatever the hell you want to call it is an, is a concrete fortress, uh, not in the basketball sense. That place is just like there's a sh- it's like a shopping mall with a basketball court in the center. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of stuff to do in there. Uh, and I think sometimes the basketball gets away from you, um, as Jake and Jake and I learned once when we sat in the 300 level next to the <laughs> next to the top of the court or next to the top of the actual arena. So. so- 
because like the top part is like curtained off sometimes and all the suites are on one side and the yeah. upper well they've fixed that in the last two renovations but you yeah. know what I mean? like it's just very it's just not a very conventional arena in good ways and bad ways but the mall thing definitely threw me the first time i went to a game and i was like just walking through the cnn center it was like bam now you're in the arena it's like whoa what's going on but yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think the renovations have helped. Like the renovations definitely helped the you know suites all on one side problem. Um, so and and they also you know removed all of the moorings that supported hockey in the arena, which for better or for worse. Uh, but yeah, that was Dream Liberty. They are back. You said August twelfth. August twelfth. It'll be the second to last game of the year, so it'll the season might be kind of done by then. We'll see what the dream. I think are they at. play or, a reverse fixture. God, I use the British term. They play a reverse fixture at in New York the week after. Uh, th- that Sunday, I think, or like whatever the closing day is. Yeah, actually, they kind of do the dream. Their next game is actually against the or no, the dreams. The Liberty's next game is against the Dream in in Brooklyn. The Dream played today. They hosted Connecticut. So they're kind of doing this twice. These schedules are just yeah. wild. Yeah. Just anyway, all that to say, August 12th, be there. Very nice. Well, let's get to our main topic of today after demurring for about 20 minutes. Um, one of the questions that we've gotten a lot from listeners, from commenters, is a very specific nuance in terms of what the differences are between pro and college versions of tennis and golf. Um, I think we, Jake is Jake specifically, you've talked a lot about sort of emphasizing that, you know, some of our tennis teams need to win the doubles point or they need to win those top three courts and, and how that team aspect of both golf and tennis is so much more important at the college level. And you don't really see it at the pro level. So we wanted to take the next uh, 30 minutes, let's say, uh, and hash out some uh, uh, some of these differences and sort of do a little do a little education, do a little PSA. So, Jake, I want to start with you. I'm going to play the straight man here, mostly because I have no idea about some of the nuances here. Explain to me some of the differences in tennis in terms of the scoring and structure of competition between the pros and college. Yeah, so I, I think this isn't really like a question we get explicitly asked a lot, like what's the difference between pro and college tennis and golf? But with with pro tennis and pro golf being, you know, the, the vastly more consumed by media and average fans thing, I, I find it's what people are familiar with. And the concept of the doubles point uh, in particular is probably the most different concept uh, in both of these sports between pro and and college, right? So there's the team aspect, right? You think in tennis, not a lot of team play going on uh, in general. I mean, I guess the, the world tennis tour is a thing, um, but uh, it, it's largely individual draws, doubles draws, playing for multiple sets. And in college tennis, uh, whereas every singles court, and there are an even number of them, there are six, um, counts as a point in and of itself, a team doubles point is just one point despite them playing three courts. This is important because if you guys have uh, been listening to our podcast recently, Georgia Tech had some pretty good doubles this year, particularly on the women's side. Uh, Tech was um, the only school to send uh, two doubles pairings uh, as deep as they did in the double. Uh, This is independent uh, from the team draw because the NCAA actually sponsors a team championship, an individual singles draw and a doubles draw. And that doubles point essentially is saying, hey, even though you're very good at doubles, even though you can win two out of three courts or sometimes three out of three, it still is only going to count for, for one point. And that really skews the game, I think, towards singles. And, and, and yes, you hear a lot more in, in pro tennis about the singles draw, right? It's, it's Rafa. It's, uh, you know, Novak Djokovic. It's, it's all of these big names playing their big singles draws. And I don't think doubles really gets it's time in the sun, but at the same time, it weights the results of individual courts differently um, than how do you play. I know this is a long-winded answer. There's pros and cons to both sides, right? You can be great at doubles and, and still lose and, and you know lose, lose a match because you know it only counts for one point, but at the same time, you're only playing one set in doubles. So you know that's, that's really the trade-off there as you're saying it's a best two out of three doubles sets, not a best two out of three doubles courts is probably the more fair to the system way to look at that 
Yeah. And I, I, at least in my layman's opinion, it takes this pro level individual sport where I think, like you said, that individual performance is so important and it turns it into a team competition just by sheer force of will and structure. Right. It, it sort of does. I mean, it, it really does go along with the NCAA stated mission of, you know, athletics, teamwork, excellence, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's merit to the NCAA uh, for once. Jack, do you have any thoughts on this difference, at least structurally between the pros and college and tennis? Yeah. I mean, there's actually, so there is a, the only, the big team event in the pros is the Davis cup, which is the country based country affiliation based tournament that happens every year, uh, which if you follow tennis enough is a, is a fun thing to watch um, just to get a sense. Cause you got, it's, it, it's kind of writer cup ish in the sense that it's a whole tournament and you got, I mean, you got Roger play, you, you know, you could theoretically have a Roger Rafa matchup. That's only, except it's country based. So you're playing for your country, not for yourselves, kind of like the Olympics um, in a sense as well. Uh, when that happens, but even though that's still individual in nature. Um, so that's where, that's where you get a lot of that doubles. Unfortunately, is a little bit more random unless you got dedicated doubles pairs um, because it's just kind of like you show up at majors and you're like, all right, like Coco got was like, Hey, who wants to play doubles in Wimbledon? Like she just put a tweet out asking who wants to do it with me. Like it's not a whole double. There's not like a doubles tour compared mixed with a singles tour. It's, I mean, the Williams sisters obviously played together for years because that was natural for them and the Bryan brothers. Uh, but when it came, when it comes to the doubles thing, it's not a it, it's it's not going to gain the traction in the pros because it's just a lot of times it's singles folks just diving in at majors, um, and it's just not enough to get the track. There's no there's no real identity with it to track with. Um, but then it's got, obviously it's got the added benefit of the majors too. So, so what you're saying is we need uh, live tennis. Such that they have individual. We're going to talk teams. about Liv when we talked about the, when we got to the golf section, but sad. We'll get I, there. We'll yeah. we'll get there. I just wanted yeah. to make the. Joke. I, I would well. To, I mean, you to put in. I would. I don't think that'll ever happen. Um, the pros does have like a end of season thing too. Like college says, it's, it's the ATP finals, which happens in London usually, uh, at least for the guys. I don't know where the girls happen. It may be at the same place at the same time. I sad. I don't. Under, I don't know. Um, really, haven't looked it up yet. So I'll have to say. Um, yeah, it there there it, it basically it exists kind of the same even if you get rid of WTT. Uh, but yeah, as y'all said, like it's very singles heavy because that's just that's where the history is. So yeah, and I think you see that kind of in how the the doubles are weighted, right? It's it's three split three sets split between three different courts, and that's also a practicality measure too, right? Like guys tennis um, at the pro level, they're playing three out of five for sets uh, for only at majors. For, I was going to say, for, for the vast majority of the ones that we tune in for, they're playing three out of five, while the women are playing two out of three. Um, and then, you know, doubles aren't usually playing a single set. I, I think you can't really expect a college athlete uh, to be, you know, dropping a two out of three singles plus a, you know, two out of three doubles. Like it, it's part of it's a, a grind of the schedule thing. I will say, though, um, we talk about team season, NCAA season in the spring. That's really when we start focusing on tennis. But as with a lot of sports, they do have a, a fall slate or an off-season slate uh, in tennis. It's relatively defined relative to um, to what we see from maybe spring volleyball or fall softball or baseball. But um, in terms of, of that fall season, it's a lot of individual draws. Uh, it's not really as team-focused. It's a lot more... Um, doubles draws too, but the doubles is a lot of one-off or just matchup based type stuff. So that fall does look a lot more, I would say like uh, the fall exhibition season, a, a lot more like a, I guess a pro grind. Uh, the ITAs in the fall are, are also individual and, and doubles team based rather than, rather than team where, where that happens in the spring. So I think you do get a little bit of the, the true to form version, if you will, in, in college tennis, but it's kind of, kind of second tier in terms of like fall season is definitely not as important uh, in terms of the big picture or the team picture as what you see in the spring. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to hit on before we move on to the golf side of structure and scoring, we, you mentioned the ITA and it's always been a bit of a pain point for me in sort of negotiating, which is the more important organization in college tennis the ITA 
or the NCAA? Is there one that's more important than the other? How do those two organizations interplay when it comes to planning out a season schedule? Yeah, I mean, the ITA just kind of is college tennis. Like, as much as the NCAA has oversight, like, if you go to the website here, I'm, I'm going to type it in so I get it exactly correct. But the, the website, wearecollegetennis.com, is the ITA's website. Like it, it, The sound you can't hear in the background is me doing a face palm. Like, it, 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 for all intents and purposes, does all the awards, does all the rankings, seeds all the teams, runs the major tournaments other than the NCAA tournament. Like, and, and for a lot of the rankings and, and postseason stuff, uh, a lot of that's seeded based on what the ITA kind of puts together in terms of, in terms of their postseason situation. So I wouldn't say so much that, you know, the NCAA doesn't do anything, but in, in terms of the more important organization, I, I mean, this is partially me not being the absolute most educated person on this, but just from my interactions with the sport, I run into the ITA and they're, their bits uh, a whole lot more than, than I run into anything the NCAA does with respect to tennis. Jack, how about you? Do you have opinions on the differences between the ITA and the NCAA? Not, no, not really. I haven't focused enough to know much of a difference at all. I just know we had to write about it twice a year for the technique and I kind of managed to not ever write about it. So I never had to dive in. Okay. So that'll be my, that'll be my homework this, this coming season. Thank you for demurring, Mr. Prepared Podcast Host. But in, yeah, in serious, in, in seriousness, it seems like it's a um, like an Olympics kind of relationship, an IOC versus the sports specific. Mm. I think they're. I don't remember the exact I name, but the, the sports top, specific. I would have been able to understand this a lot better. Yeah, but that's the way it seems, right? Because you have the NCAA that manages the entire competition, but it's only in this specific in this specific context, because if you look at, um, if you look at other sports, like the NCAA still organizes baseball, it still organizes golf, which we'll get to, um, it's still softball, et cetera. Football, I think is maybe the other cutaway example or, or the cutaway exception, but it really seems like you have this symbiotic relationship where the ITA manages the sport and the NCAA sanctions teams. Well, and, and the, the ITA exists at all three division levels, right? It's, it's division one, it's division two, it's division three. So, and NIA and, and junior college. So really top to bottom, when they say they are college tennis, it kind of represents the uh, competition structure and the, the organization. Um, kind, you know, a, a lot of coaches are members, players are members too, but in a way that like maybe a coaches association kind of functions as well. So I, I would say it's kind of like a hybrid extra NCAA, but also like membership based, uh, you know, governance type organization. And then it also obviously ties into USTA, which is uh, kind of the, the overall governing body in, in America. So. Okay. Okay. Let's flip over to golf and Jack, you've got this one. Can you walk us through some of the differences in structure and scoring for the pros in college in golf? Yeah. Very similarly to tennis it's a very individual dominated sport i remember a story when uh golf got added to the olympics re-added in 2016 and kuchar was uh, matt kuchar was representing for the u.s he assumed it was a team event because it was the olympics He's like oh duh, it's a team event and then showed up and was like oh it's not it's only individual he was he was shocked but I, that's the thing is it's basically all every tournament except for this brand new thing out in uh, saudi arabia is individual base and it's every tournament technically uh, they're in portland this week well but yeah i digress yeah. Yeah, yeah uh there is one pga tournament called the zurich classic that happens in new orleans that is a part it is a, it is a doubles tournament um and so you put it it's similar to how t- doubles and the pro and tennis works you just grab somebody and go that's pretty much it but you're just playing together and you get a single you get a combined but it's still a stroke play it's not really match play. And then there is the only, ma- and then the match play is there is the WGC match play, which is a bracket style pool play. And then you go single elimination the rest of the way. Um, and that tournament lasts five days. So that's, that's the only tournament that lasts. That's the longest lasting tournament by structure uh, because it just takes long to get through all the matchups. Um, and you play a lot of golf in terms of like, if you make it all the way, you're playing 36 holes on Sunday. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of time. 
Um, but beyond that, and then there's the Ryder Cup, of course, and the President's Cup. Um, and I know there's a women's version that I'm forgetting. I, again, sorry. Uh, but it's the same idea of kind of it's a team event. Um, you, it's match play the whole way down. And the Ryder Cup, I would argue, is one of the best one of the best events world sports has to offer with just how fun it is at times. Um, and then I know with golf, it's I'll let Jake kind of take this, but it's it's kind of the mismatch kind of thing here. Well, the weird thing about golf is that, like, it, I'm not saying that there's not a, uh, a a match play all year, but it's weird how many of the tournaments, because there are some that are match play, but how many of the tournaments are team-based stroke play, right? So you're taking your team in aggregate. Obviously, they do award some individuals there, but your your overall score is a combination of four or five scorers, uh, you know, excluding excluding one. Um, for, for your plus minus uh, uh, relative to par. But then when you're in the ACC, when you're getting to the point that you're, you know, deciding the ACC tournament, when you're in, in the NCAAs getting to decide the NCAA tournament, you're basically pivoting at the most crucial point in the season to, you know, match play, win the whole uh, plus one, minus one uh, in, in that sense, rather than relative to par. So it's pretty weird, at least to me, that, you know, obviously it does happen uh, in some tournaments. You can go back and see our dual head-to-head matchups against various schools. There, there'll be a couple each year. But uh, really, when the moment matters the most, they kind of completely change up the format. And maybe that's me, again, being, you know, more proficient in golf. In a curmudgeon? Two or three years than, than, I, than I was before that. But, like, just seems just seems odd to me. And I kind of take it at face value, you know, like, Oh, when you're deciding the tournament, like you got to whittle down the field and then, you know, you, you can't play eight pairs all the way down through, through the finals or, or maybe you could. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's just odd that it kind of changes up when the moment is the biggest, right? Cause, cause if you look at the ACC tournament, you play stroke play until you get to a top four and then it's just a completely different format. Which I think, I'll counter argue because this year's ACC championship final and, and the, I guess the semifinal two were pretty compelling television. When you have match play that comes in after you whittled down the field, right? Because it, the, and especially the way that I think it was um, NBC that was producing it. No, it was a, is ESPN. All these championships are ESPN. Um the way that ESPN had produced it, where they were focusing on these individual matchups. And I mean, it's still at the end of the day, it's still golf. It's still our usual meme of head case sport, right? Where things can go south or things can go north very quickly. Um, and it's very neurotic. So I think there's some merit to there's some like business metric merit to having the sport structured that way when it matters most. Is that is there a sporting merit in it? I, I think that's there, there's debate for that, like you're saying, but there is some like vague business merit to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes for an extremely compelling product. And if golf was on more TV or golf was more readily accessible to a fan, I'd say, oh, gosh, why aren't they doing this more? But you know, it made for good TV and good watching and good following along, even if you couldn't watch on TV um, towards the end of the year. So I'll give it that. I just think it's a little, little odd, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, uh, one last thing before we move on, especially with the uh, <clears throat> Saudi Arabian golf tournament that you mentioned, Jack, uh, that has recently cropped up. Would you care to give us an explainer on what the pro organizing bodies are uh both on the men's and the women's side and then we can sort of talk if there are similar ones at the college level that are other than the ncaa yeah it's kind of geographic based because there's the european tour um for both men's and women's and then the in the in the states it's mainly the l the pga and the lpga and they just run the season-long stuff where this gets interesting is the majors are not run by the tour um Masters is an invitational. The U.S. Open is run by the USGA. The PGA Championship is run by the PGA of America, and the British Open is or the Open is run by not. I don't think it's run by the European Tour. I forgot who runs that. All that to say, the four biggest tournaments are not run by the biggest golf season in the world. Um, Lisa, for now, 
see how that goes. So it's an interesting spot. The PGA, the PGA Tour does run the Players Championships. So that's their big money pot closest thing to a championship, which is why it's gotten tagged as the fifth major at times. And then the Tour Championship, which is the season-ending playoff thing, is theirs as well. Uh, and that's where that's your playoff finale kind of idea there. Someone had the tennis mm-hmm. as the ATP Finals in London. Uh, so yeah, that's that's so it's 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 not there is the 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 closest thing you have to a overall governing thing is the is the official world golf ranking which basically just sanctions value on certain tournaments around the world to give to create the world ranking structure and everyone follows that as the gospel of the world rankings like they they that's legitimate there's no secondary fake one or i don't call it fake but there's no secondary other one like a coach's poll and your ap poll and that, like that doesn't exist uh so no major selectors no list of 18 major selectors in this one no uh, just for our edification, describe the live tour in, okay. I, I, I will bound it to one minute and in at least the most unbiased way that you can, and I'm then I will up. let you get to the, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll do a stopwatch of 60 seconds of what it actually is. If my wifi, I would let me, okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Okay. So the live golf tour is a eight tournament, uh, tour uh around uh europe and the in the u.s and I, i'm guessing saudi arabia because it's from there uh it's a 54 hole no cut event um and there is a team component which had like this weird draft thing and all the teams are like made up names with really weird logos so you play individually stroke unbiased jack unbiased well okay, okay it's it by weird i mean it's new uh and there's uh so in your in your individual play counts for the stroke your individual stroke play counts for the team part as well on the side. So you're still kind of playing alone, but not really. It's not, it's, it's this weird halfway between it, it's a halfway between, r- between like a Ryder cup style and a true individual portion. Uh, so that that's that. And it pays more money on average than any other tournament in the world. 10 seconds left. Uh, uh, so you did that's good. all I got there. Yeah. Um, where do I want to go with this? I think there's a bunch of issues with the ownership structure of the live golf tour that are heavily politicized. Maybe we don't need to delve into those, but could you give, so what is the, I think the thing that we hear about when we talk about the live tournament is that there are major issues not in terms of the tournament majors, but there are issues with how the PGA runs itself and how it's, players are compensated compared to the no cut, the guaranteed money um, of, of live. And I I think one of the refrains that I've heard from people that are more into golf than I am is that the PGA is a lot like the NCAA in that it is the players when it suits itself. And then when it suits itself, it's a uh, you know, it's a shadow organization to dump on. Can you sort of explain the dynamics there uh, and I guess compare that to what we think of when it comes to NCAA enforcement in that vein? Yeah, yeah, it's it, they certainly have I mean, Jay Monahan's the commissioner there and he's definitely one of the least out there commissioners of the main sports in the US. Like he's not just around like Adele is. He's not around like Rob Manford is. Like it's 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 he was only kind of there when he needs to be when someone gets suspended or there's issues, it's fairly, very internal. Like a guy will just kind of be gone and you can kind of guess why he's gone, but it's very, it's a very different, uh, I guess I want to say political structure, but just how the authority runs. It's very different uh, compared to the rest, which, and it's so in terms of like how you go back to the, against the NCAA, yes, Jay Monahan exists, but it's, it's kind of like, this just the whole organization as a whole is what you refer to it. It's not like you don't point the finger just at Jay, like you would at the NFL, you point it straight at Goodell. Um, with the live situation here, it, it, it's for the players. There's a lot of history in the PGA Tour. With live, it's just life changing money, even for the big guys. Supposedly, Tiger got a high nine figure offer to come join. Uh, so he nearly became a billionaire surely just because he said because he would have said yes to one organization to play eight times maybe if he was healthy. Um, so it's just a very different dynamic of golf. Those that watched the first tournament, which got Arlo White to broadcast it on YouTube, because that's all they could figure out right now. Um, it, like there was no one there. People weren't clapping 
after shots. Uh, like it was just such a strange, sterile environment. And the pro, the pre, the the press interviews beforehand were very awkward because people understood. Like, yeah, Saudis, they, they're the money that comes with it is politically very tainted. Um, and I mean, I, I, as an aspiring journalist in some respects, like it's not cool that Khashoggi's dead, and we know why. Um, and it kind of goes along with that. The 9-11 supporters, I'm kind of rambling here, but like the 9-11 families group was like very vocal against this players going, going out there. And we lost Mickelson. We lost Matthew Wolf today. We've lost Dustin Johnson. Uh, it was just like, yeah, I don't want to play as much golf. This helps me do that and make more money. And the PJs had to respond and kind of create a very similar vein of things, which I don't fully understand. I still got to do some research, but they're doing a very similar idea of like, okay, more money and fewer tournaments basically. Uh, Okay. That makes more sense. Thank you for clarifying that part. Let's move on to talking a little bit about some of the, uh, some of the big picture effects uh, of both of these sports, just to move away from sort of the, uh, the hint of the live tour and our discussion on that. Um, One of the major questions that I've had when I think about these two sports is that because we've talked about their historic traditions of the individual versions of these sports, how does participating in NCAA team play uh, team play and those team dynamics affect the pipeline from the NCAA game to the program? And I want to start with tennis and, and you, Jake, what is the dynamic like there and how, is there a drop off in between NCAA quality and pro quality? I honestly would think it's the other way around. Uh, the pros across the board are generally uh, a cut above. I would say NCAA tennis. Uh, a lot of the world's best juniors don't necessarily play college tennis. And even uh, hitting close to home with an example like uh, you know Christopher Eubanks, one of the greatest George. You know we can circle talk all we want about. Uh, you know, how, how great Nicole Fegans was this year and all that. If you want to talk about the last person that we kind of held up as like a, hey, you've never heard of them, maybe, but you really need to. Um, Chris Eubanks, and, and, you know, honestly, to a point where uh, transcends that kind of like men's tennis or track, women's tennis, where they don't get a lot of time in the sun. Uh, you know, people know the name Eubanks. And even then, uh, I'm not going to say he's struggled to catch on because like it's a little bit unfair to say that when you're playing against literally like all time like top tier talent but like it's definitely he's definitely not out there um you know just uh uh, tearing things up uh, up against uh up against the best uh in the world but that that being said he did make the qualifiers for Wimbledon uh he's been on the challenger tour a lot uh he was in the qualifiers for the French Open uh, didn't necessarily, you know, win one there, but he did get a win uh, in the qualies in, uh, in Wimbledon. Um, he got a win in Miami, but again, qualifiers. So really that's where he's kind of just been, just been sitting. Uh, there's a lot of qualifiers um, in, in terms of most of the, in terms of most of the, the big majors. So again, like that's, that's one of the NCAA's top talents for a, a number of years in a row. And, you know, they, they kind of languish out there compared to, some of the best in the world, but tennis is also a sport that has a surprisingly, at least to me with how, uh, how much quick action and, uh, you know, proclivity for, uh, tweaks in the ankles and wrists and, and shoulders to throw you off a lot. Uh, it's also a sport where the best of the best have been at the top for a really long time. So it is also harder to break that top tier too. Yeah. It, it the way that you've described it, especially your note about lots of the world juniors skipping the NCAA circuit, it reminds me a lot of how college soccer is in the soccer ecosystem, right? You, especially with the U.S. academy system built up to the point it is now, a lot of your top youth talent, your Weston McKennies, your um, Chris Richards, et cetera, et cetera, if you're familiar with the U.S. men's national team, they are going directly to um, – U23 teams in Europe or U23 teams for MLS teams rather than going to college, sitting there for four years uh, and playing through the circuit and then getting drafted into MLS or going abroad to join, join a team because those four years end up being critical development years. Is that similar for, for tennis? I mean, 
I, I'd say yes. Again, I'm not the, the world's biggest expert on, on the, the, I guess, mid-tier of, you know, where, where that line gets drawn. Again, I point back to Chris being, you know, the, the greatest men's tennis player probably ever to play at Georgia Tech and being uh, topping out a couple of years ago as just the 147th best in the world. Um, I, I don't know that it's always a perfect parallel to, to draw straight to soccer, but I, I think a, an equivalent for our very American audience is probably akin to the uh, high school baseball MLB draft kind of conundrum where it's like, you know, the, the pipeline goes straight from, from being a juniors to junior to, to touring the world. And that's uh, you know, it, you can be a, a top four, top five NCAA player in, in language in the one sixties, but that's in the same vein that uh, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of top tier talent. And, and if you turn the clock back uh, to the NBA where, you know, LeBron, LeBron and Kobe were jumping straight from, from high school to, to the NBA as well, or, or people going to overtime elite. It's, it's kind of the same concept, but in a way that I'd say we don't see in the same way in America as, as a sport like football, where essentially you must play some sort of college football in order to make it at the next level. Uh, a sport like softball, where NCAA softball is the pinnacle and uh and, and yeah, or a sport like swimming where the entire world comes to America to swim in our universities and, and kind of makes the NCAA championships one of those top tier events. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that tennis kind of has that same pull, but like we talked about with the organizational structure, it's really a, an odd sport compared to uh, governance. And, and I, I think it's kind of similar with the talent pipeline too. I could, I could be oversimplifying here. And if somebody listening does think I am, please let us know. But that's just my uh, read as a casual tennis watcher, writer, player, observer type person. Jack, do you have any thoughts on uh, some of these pipeline issues in tennis? Uh, yeah, I think you nailed it on the head. I mean, I, I think we should note Coco Goff, Atlanta native, definitely not going to college anytime soon because she's <laughs> killing it right now and is going to be a favorite at Wimbledon. Come, I mean, Iga Swiatek is the actual woman's favorite, but like. Coco got to the French Open final. She uh, got, she got to the semi or the final in doubles too. Uh, so I mean, yeah, it's there's a college tennis is definitely. I mean, if you want it, it's there. But if you want to go pro and get, I mean, the, the and the legacy of this has been around for decades. Like Chrissy Everett was playing Wimbledon finals when she was like younger than seventeen. So I mean, this is this is this is standard now for the for for tennis. And if you're new to it, like yeah, it's, that's just the that's just how you do it. You you don't go to college if you're that good. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I I think that's uh, remarkable too. Is because uh, like if you look at how much of a big deal it is to see people going pro before they need to or have to in certain sports. Uh, a la, you know, the, the third year um, college junior going to the NFL or like mm-hmm. to, to pick a non-rep sports example, Missy Franklin uh, leaving Cal to, to go pro, um, you know, halfway through her tenure there. That's like front page news a, a, in a way that tennis and, and you know, baseball too. It, it's just a, more of a, just a fact. It's normal. It's a, just a how you do life. it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or a one and done in, in, in men's basketball. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's, juxtapose that model against golf where it seems like your skill translates a lot more effectively because it's a more specifically individual sport. Uh, Jack, can you sort of walk us through the pipeline there? Yeah, there's, there are ways you can get in without the college part, but the college part's big enough and a really good training ground uh, to where it still is useful. Um, I mean, most notably Matthew Wolf from Texas uh, came out of there recently. Uh, Colin Morikawa went to Stanford. Uh, I mean, Tiger's a Stanford guy too. Uh, and so it's a good, it, it's one of the better training grounds that's out there. Um, the PJ does have the corn Ferry tour, which replaced Q school um, as kind of like your qualifying way to get to the tour. Um, so it, and there's also golf is with how it's set up. There's and who's winning a lot. Like the, the propensity for the young guys to, it's kind of it's a, the the uh, the focus on sorry Jake I'm I'm gonna get there for a second yeah, the yeah. focus on who's better and who's like the the focus of golf now is a very wishy washy thing to 
kind of speculate on right now because the live is changing everything by every few hours at this point. Um, but it, like the young crew is still a building new club in the PGA um, and just and just golf in general. And so where they're coming from and how they're getting there is still it's it's a fluid it's a fluid thing right now. Um, but I think for our purposes here with how the NCA relates to it, it still very much matters um, in terms of okay. as a piece of the pipeline. And, and, and that's the thing, too, is basically anyone you, you rattle a bunch of, uh, of who, you know, had, had gone to college and then, and then went pro. But, like, you know, Phil Mickelson, Arizona State, Matt Kutcher, yep. Georgia Tech. These mm-hmm. are, you know, it, it's almost universal. If you, if you Stuart Sink, Tech, again, uh, obviously that's me doubled in the same Tech well. But it, it, there's high likelihood in a way that there aren't in, in definitely in tennis on the golf side. Yeah. So let's take this, our discussion on sort of this pipeline and add in the factor of NIL uh, in the last two years. In both sports, how does adding NIL to the mix affect the pro game and how does it affect the college game? Obviously you have the factor of you know, be, some students are going to remain, some athletes are going to remain at their institutions based on their NIL deals. But what we've said in both of these segments is that the, the translation layer from college to pro and sort of your earning potential in college to pro is different. So let's start with golf since we ended with golf last time. Does NIL in golf become a factor, become a bigger factor in players staying in college versus going pro. Yeah, I, I think this ties back to the uh, loose allegory I made to swimming earlier. I, I don't think you see, you know, Missy Franklin or Katie Ledecky uh, turn pro early if they can make that money in the form of NAL and stay at their school where, where the competition level is really high. Something like golf, that really helps people, right? They, they, and stick around. And for, for the co- folks who are borderline, I can't imagine it hurts. Jack, how about you? That was, I was about to say, like, I think if you're in that middle group, I would say if you're Ledecky or Franklin, you go pro. Like, you, you, if you know you got it, you take it while you can. But I don't want to see what they would do in this case. But for that group that's in that middle group of like, okay, I could kind of make the leap, but I know I'm not all the way there. This stuff matters. NIL matters a lot because that kind of makes it a lot easier decision for them to stay maybe for an extra year and still get something out of it more. Um, if you're on the lower end and you get your NIL, you know, you just know that's probably going to be it. But yeah, for that kind of that middle bell curve group that could get to the pro spot, um, I think that's that's going to be I think it's gonna be really impactful to kind of keeping depth on squads, if anything, of like, OK, maybe this person would have tried to leave sooner um, or they want to try something else. But no, they got a salary now <laughs> in some form or fashion. Uh, so uh, that's my and also this is still very brand new like we don't fully know what this will end up turning into uh so that's i mean we're kind of hypothesizing here for a second but that'd be that that's my initial guess is like okay that middle group of the higher end but still not all the way there at the cream of the crop is going to be the ones that um that benefit the most from this nil part so like reagan smith will be a good example for this next few years of like okay what does she do in this case yeah, especially since what she has three years left before. Yeah, this was her freshman year, right? When we saw her at Tech. When we saw her, yeah, I think, yeah, because twenty twenty one Olympics, she was a freshman, or she was yeah. billed as a freshman. She's like eighteen or seventeen or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, some of these elite swimmers are so young; it's very weird to watch. Uh, I think that about wraps up our discussion. Thank you both for participating and enlightening me on the structure and proclivities of these two sports. Um, Any other final thoughts before we move on to a couple of news items and wrap up? As much as I was talking about how Liv is taking a lot of notable PGA tour golfers, there's still a lot of good talent there. So I wouldn't, despite this change, I don't think we're at the death of the PGA tour yet. And it's very much still worth watching because there's some fantastic golfers, notably Rory McIlroy committed and staying Morikawa committed and staying. So the people are still there. It's not going to die. I will have to take points off for Morikawa. He puts his milk in before his cereal. That is shameful. He needs to be, (laughs) he needs to be publicly, uh, (laughs) 
he needs to be publicly made fun of for that on the golf course. Jake, how about you? Any, any other notes before we move on? Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, uh, it, it's certainly something to keep an eye on, uh, not only with the NIL aspect, but the, the LIV as well. So definitely a changing space and, and, you know, one that, you know, tennis has really tried to break through with the, the team tennis thing and, and trying to maintain a kind of higher relevancy golf too outside of the, the big four for each of them. So I think it'll just be an interesting thing to keep an eye on at the very least. Okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about men's basketball, Georgia tech. The NBA draft was this past week. Uh, no one drafted from Georgia tech, uh, but Michael DeVoe and Jordan Usher did get pro invites. Mr. Purdy, do you want to walk us through those? Yeah, DeVoe is going to be on Exhibit 10 with the Clippers. Um, so he's at least going to be summer league training camp kind of guy. He's going to he'll, he'll be in the mix, basically, is all that ma- is what matters there. Usher is going to be on the Utah Jazz's summer league team. Um, I think this, it, without any doubt, was something we, we knew. We, we knew DeVoe would at least get a look. Um, and Usher's getting a good look as well. So I, these were the guys we knew if they were if anyone was going to make a leap from this next team, it'd be them. So. Um, glad they're getting there. Um, we'll see what happens. I'll certainly try to catch a summer league game or two just to see what, how they're square, how, how well they stand up against this next group of guys. Uh, cause well, we need some, we need some tech faults in the NBA. <laughs> we're, we're running kind of dry right now. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to note in particular about men's basketball this week as well is Debo changing his number to three. Uh, and as, uh, you know, maybe maybe the collective came up with it, but I like to think that I tweeted it before I saw any other tweeting uh, about it. But uh, Threebo Coleman is just such a great fit. I'm I'm thrilled. I am thrilled. I get to yell that uh, for the next two to three years. So we can. Uh, uh, there's yeah. gonna be that has to be a giveaway. The Threebo jersey that has to be a giveaway this year. If he if it, well, 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 let's not get ahead of ourselves. His three point shooting percentage has to be good first. No, it doesn't. It just no. has to mean. It, it, it does not have to be get, good. It, it needs to get people in seats, actually. And this is what's going to get people in seats. <laughs> mm, okay. Uh, another thing that might get people in seats, though I don't know if the actual host site has been announced, uh, Tech oh, and it's, Iowa it's in will Iowa play. City. The seats okay, will well, be in Iowa City. The seats will be yeah. in Iowa City, but they will be filled with gold and black and gold and white. Um, Tech will play Iowa uh, for the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, no Luca Garza anymore for Iowa, so Ooh. there is that. But I wouldn't say, and I, I think their uh, prodigal coach's son is also has also graduated at this point. But uh, not a not an easy task, not an easy team to get by uh, by any means. So Jake, I'll kick it over to you. What do you make of this matchup? Uh, I think that Iowa, you know who won the big 10 this year or at least beat Indiana. And I can't remember if that was the big 10 championship. Now I'm questioning my life. Uh, big 10. Jack jump in here while he and vamp while he, uh, he does his searching. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a new, uh, new, not Wisconsin. So new opponent. That's fun. That is good. Um, one of the not sports. Nebraska. I was Nebraska won it. No, no Nebraska. Nebraska. I don't like playing them. They suck. Oh, <laughs> um, no fun time. Um, I, I I guess this might be it might be as far as we travel too, depending on. I mean, we'll have the East Coast games up to Syracuse and whatnot, but I don't. Uh, we haven't seen our schedule, but there's a shot this is as far as we travel all year, um, at least early, unless we get some West Coast games involved and like go to USC or something for our non-conference. But um, we are involved in some sort of pre or like early season invitational. Um, I don't remember the dates on it. Okay. Exactly, oh. but there it, it. I don't. I also don't remember the location, but but there, that's on the schedule. I think the field for that was pretty competitive. Uh, now that I think about it, it might be in Hawaii, but huh. maybe I'm sorry. Can I talk about my team now? Sorry, didn't want to commit a rights violation. My computer started playing noise. Oh dear! <laughs> Incredibly professional podcasting, Mr. Grant. Uh, I go back to you. What do you make of this matchup? Given that you've now researched the Big Ten championship, yeah, Iowa won the Big Ten last year. They're missing a lot of big pieces, though. Um, a couple very, very senior folks, I believe. One was my age in school, which made him a sixth-year senior. Um, Luca Garza, who's with the Pistons. Uh, just a lot of big names gone from Iowa, who 
was pretty good last year. And the most important thing is that we were not the ACC team left out. So at the very least, we get to play in the ACC. Yes. Yes. <laughs> do, do we know who, do, who did we, I know y'all, who was it that got left out? I haven't checked this. Um, I'll pull it up one sec. I had it open in another screen. Big well, I am regardless, glad it's not us. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of sad we're not hosting. I guess you have to go back and forth too, just to maintain parity. But this was our, our Wisconsin game was, a, was as good of a crowd as we got for students last year. Like there was, we over, they didn't sell that much real tickets. So they just said, anyone's welcome. Just like get in here. And there was a crap ton of students that showed up. So mm-hmm. I, I, it was one of those games that had a really, really good atmosphere. Uh, at home. Yeah, and I, I mean, fun. the team, the team was up for it, right? They played really yeah. well. Um, and even though they lost to Wisconsin, um, it was still it was a, a really, Great really time. good game. Really? Did NC state get left out this oh, year? So uh, Boston college, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Miami, FSU, Duke, Tech, Wake, Virginia, Clemson, Louisville, Q's, Pitt, Virginia Tech. Yeah, NC State got left out. Okay. All right. Hey, Kevin Keats, not a schedule winner, as I've always said. We did not get left out, and we don't have to play Nebraska or Northwestern, two teams that are just not very good. The other former NCAA tournament team, Northwestern, I'll have you know. Iowa is good. <laughs> they are good. A win here would be great. Yep. Absolutely. The last thing I want to mention with regards to Michael DeVoe playing with the Clippers this uh, in Summer League is that, if I remember correctly, the Clippers Summer League team, or, or their, either their Summer League or their G League team, I don't know if their coaching staffs overlap, uh, are coached by Daryl LeBerry and Paul Hewitt. <laughs> So old friends, to say the least. Let's move on to baseball. Kevin Parada was a finalist for the Golden Spikes Award, but did not win the Golden Spikes Award. That went to Ivan Melendez of Texas, um, who had a weird, very weird College World Series uh, in that they got summarily eliminated by Texas A&M, who, as we've always said, are not a Texas Rival, uh, just to wrap up on all uh, all academic, all Americans uh, for other sports, softball had four academic, all ACC, all American. I don't really know the nomenclature. Academic, all ACC uh, track had five. So that's pretty cool. Uh, volleyball added a transfer from UCF, who we talked a little bit about in our writer's room. Jack, do you want to give us a preview of that transfer? Yeah, we got a new outside hitter. This is going to be effectively the Brambia replacement. Uh, we got Tally Marmon from UCF, who's an outside hitter. Uh, she helped them get, to help get UCF to the AAC championship last year. Um, and she play, she has played against Tech. Uh, she had a she had 14, no, 13 kills in their game against us early season last year, and they were good. Um, and she finished that was one below her career high that she ended up having all season. Uh, so this is a nice this is a nice pickup. Uh, to help just boost, just kind of fill in the the Brambia hole, which is a very hard one to fill. But certainly mm-hmm. we got a we got a vet who knows who has played well in the past, um, and I'm sure uh, Michelle Collier will do just fine getting her in. Um, so I'm not I'm not worried about this. I think this is a great pickup. Uh, we'll yeah. be we'll, uh, volleyball will be very fun still. Yeah, yeah I think uh, Coach Collier's oh quote: uh, "Immediate impact in the gym." Uh, very good. Very pretty, good. Pretty telling. Yeah, uh, a couple of the notes, Israeli International, obviously that fits in with the whole, you know, build a uh, complete volleyball team out of players that aren't from the United States bit that Michelle Collier has been doing for the last couple of years, which mm-hmm. honestly, very cool. Not going to deny it at all. It's a very competent strategy, and it's obviously paying dividends for her. Um, but uh, Talia will be on campus later this year, and uh, we'll, we'll see how that works out for Georgia Tech volleyball. I think... That wraps it up for all of our news items. Uh, Mr. Grant, any other final notes before we move on and wrap up? Yeah, um, just uh, kind of taking us down through the outro plugs, all that good stuff. Uh, quick summary via RCFB. 
well, the national champions this year. Uh, very interesting to see the breakdown. The ACC took home five, uh, Virginia with two. That's women's swimming, men's tennis, Clemson with one, men's soccer, Florida State with a women's soccer, uh, at UNC with women's lacrosse, uh, and NC State with women's cross country, Notre Dame with fencing. Uh, so very interesting year, obviously not uh, a lot of top line names there. Uh, also worth noting that Cal won both men's water polo and swim and dive. So what did I do at Georgia Tech? Just kidding. Love it. There go jackets. Uh, Texas leads the way uh, with four men's golf, women's tennis, men's indoor track and rowing Florida uh, second most and Stanford third most each with three a piece. So with that being a wrap on the year, definitely uh, interesting breakdown and and uh, yeah, track. You can really clean up those natties with Florida winning three out of the four of them. So, uh, you know, if, if that's what fills the trophy case, that's what you got to do. Uh, I will note that the updated director's cup standings, because I think that's a logical next step to ask about. Those are not available until the middle of this week uh, yeah. since baseball ended like literally four hours ago. So we <laughs> yeah. will get, we will have an update on those next week. Uh, Ms. Purdy, you have any other final notes before we head out of here? Our little thing has a plug for section one. If you've watched uh, secret base and all of John Boyce's work, there's a new one that came out yesterday about a story I had not heard. Uh, I mean, it's not, is it their site? Yeah, I guess they are technically our, what our sister site at this point because they're SB. It's all Vox Media. It's, it's all Voxy Vox. This is so cool. I get to do a plug for John Boyce. I love this guy. Uh, he uh, So it's about the story of this crazy pilot guy who uh, basically ran a, ran, a play, ran a plane into the Steelers Baltimore Colts playoff game at some decade, I'm forgetting already. Um, and crucially. And crucially in a game where uh, it, the the game results in a way where people weren't in the line of uh, line of the plane very nicely. So, so it's a good little 41 minutes if you need something to watch on YouTube. Okay. I will. I haven't, I've seen that on my feed. I have gotcha. not tuned in yet, but I will put that on my list of things to do this week. Mr. Grant, do you mind taking us home? Absolutely. Uh, this has been. Science. You mind taking us home? You mind? Oh my goodness! Do I, I have do to do it? Sure. Yes. No. I, I'm doing this only out of indignation. Yes. No. He says. Yes. No. As I'm going to put that on a T-shirt. Anyway, yes. please continue. It's incredibly Midwestern of me. Yes. No. Oh, there. Yeah. Mm -hmm, gotcha. Uh, no. So, you know. Scions of the Southland. This has been uh, the presentation of from the rumbleseat.com at FTRS blog on Twitter. Email us at from the rumbleseat at gmail.com. Add us on Twitter. Like, listen, subscribe uh, to quote Ian Hap. Unsubscribe and resubscribe. Tell all your friends. Give us a five star rating, whatever it does to uh, get all that out there. If you'd like to comment or leave a suggestion for a future episode, there's like eight more weeks of summer. So we, we definitely have time now that uh, we're not covering like 14 sports all at once. Anyways, uh, at Jack Nicklaus on Twitter, at Jake Grant 98 on Twitter, you can find Akshay, but don't try. And uh, with that, have a great night and go Jackets. <laughs>